and welcome to the Still to be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm the older brother. I am the writer. I am the question asker. And with me is Matt Farrell. Say hello, Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Before we get into the episode, just a few reminders of the different ways that you can support the podcast. There is, of course, just simply doing what you're doing right now, listening to the sound of my voice. There is also subscribing. There is liking. We are available wherever podcasts are found. We're also on YouTube. And you can support us directly by going to stilltbd.fm. You'll find a link on that page. That link takes you to a cookie jar and you can throw some coins in it. Whether you throw coins at us or not, we support, we support, we appreciate every form of support. And please don't throw those coins too hard because they hurt. <laughs> the welts, we know the welts are welts of love. <laughs> and I really, Sean, I hope you do the entire podcast in that voice you just did a little while ago. <laughs> of the, the robot Homer Simpson? Yes. <laughs> this is the sound of my voice. <laughs> As usual, before we get into the newest episode, we'll share some comments on our latest episode. We are going to skip the comments on the latest episode. Why, you're asking? Well, for our regular listeners, you may remember that last week you didn't actually hear the sound of my voice. That's because <laughs> we suffered catastrophic technical <laughs> issues. Yes. You may be wondering, what counts as a catastrophic technical issue? Well, the fact that my computer... Stop talking to my microphone <laughs> yes. was the catastrophic technical issue. <laughs> I mean, my computer basically <laughs> said, what? To my <laughs> microphone. And my microphone said, nothing. <laughs> As a result, we skipped over last week's episode. So today we're going to do quick hits on Matt's two most recent episodes. We will not be talking about just one amazing technical development, but two. What are those technical developments? Well, from two weeks ago, we had the episode, Does Space Mining Solve Our Resource Problem? Question mark. That was on June 8th, 2021. And then we also have the episode, Can Underwater Turbines Work? Question mark. It's always a question. <laughs> Title Power Explained from June 15th, 2021. And on the Can Underwater Turbines Work? I like that one of your commenters jumped in and said, yes. <laughs> to the point. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> yep. And then they added, but strangely, if you take them out of the water, they don't do a damn thing. <laughs> He's not wrong. So this episode was one of yours that really struck the sci-fi nerd button on me pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um does space mining solve our resource problem? I think this is, uh, to cut to the chase for me personally, short term, absolutely not. Yeah. But this is really one of those, this is a long term, like what will the world look like in 200 years sort of yep. situation. Yeah. If you were able to go back to uh, European nations that were trying to explore and find new trade routes, if you were able to go back to them in the 16th century and say someday here's where your shipping routes will exist and here's the technology that will exist to, in order to get goods from one place to another uh it would it would sound like fantasy 
And yeah. I think that this technology, as you've laid it out at the very early infant stage of there's these giant space rocks floating around. Can we even land something on them? We're in those baby steps, but it's really fascinating and captures the imagination in a really neat way. Yeah. And one of your commenters, Alaric Goldkohl, wrote, Elon, of course, he's referring to Elon Musk. Elon has said no, but I think he's playing possum. People are going to shit when SpaceX lands a few meteorites mostly comprised of gold. Considering how much is out there, I doubt gold will maintain its price when the space mining begins. There is so much of it out there. Raises an interesting question. Do you think that the use of gold, as opposed to the value that is given to gold, mm -hmm. will override whether or not it is brought back in large quantities? In gold short, do you think that somebody will say, Yes, if we bring it back in large quantities, the overall value of gold will drop, but we need it so desperately for our tech. Yeah. Because well, it's used in things, it's used in computers. It's used in, there's there's technical things that are done with it. It's yeah, not but, but just we need, a we need valuable like, material. Yeah, we need things like platinum. We need gold. We need the stuff to use. Right now, no. There's... <laughs> We have plenty on earth at the moment. So like if you went out and did this in the next 10 years, it's not going to make a lick of sense. You're not going to make your money back. Um, it's going to de de devalue what it's actually worth. You're, there's going to be a point at which our needs for this stuff, like you point out, I think it's 50, 100 years from now that this is going to make the most sense. Uh, and in, in response to some of these comments I saw, it's more about, to me, where it makes the most sense is we're planning on doing space exploration, going out to Mars and things like that. Space mining for that type of thing makes complete sense because you don't have to haul stuff from the Earth's surface to space to then send it over to Mars or vice versa. It's like you're mining the stuff where you're using it. You're creating the fuel that you're going to use to rocket to Mars in space on the moon. That's where space mining today makes the most sense. But use it to mine and bring it back to Earth makes little sense. And the the Elon Musk <laughs> SpaceX mining and I, there was a ton of comments about uh, you know the the Starship uh, being a, being able to do this stuff. What people are forgetting is you're talking about bringing tons tons of this stuff back. You'd be loading a Starship up and having to land a rocket that weighs tons. It's like. It's not that it's impossible because they've proven they can do this, but there's the cost and the amount that that thing can bring back and the loads it can t carry, <laughs> the cost is going to be huge. It's like, it just doesn't make sense today. And so Elon's, I don't think he is playing possum. I think he's just like looking at the facts of today in his lifetime, this doesn't make sense. But I bet if you talk to him, what do you think about a hundred years from now? His answer might be very different. Right. And that was one of my questions to you is, do you think this is our children's lifetime or do you think it's our grandchildren's lifetime that this sort of, this technology will potentially actively be in place? I think you and I are going to start to see it in our lifetime, but I think it's going to be, <laughs> we'll be very bitter old men <laughs> by the time <laughs> it becomes a thing, but it's going to be the type of thing where it's like they're doing this. So to make if, fuel, if we're going to be go bitter to old men, you're saying this is going to happen next year because <laughs> we're already bitter. I am. <laughs> we're already old. <laughs> I am right there. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's it's definitely going to be in your son's lifetime. It's it it's I, I see this as being a thing in the next fifty to one hundred years. I don't know if that means bringing it back to Earth, but there is going to be space mining happening because there's too many companies that are racing after this. There's uh, I know somebody that wants to start his own space mining company. So it's like this is not this is not a thing that people are just like a flight of fancy. There's people actually going to try to do this to make money. And so it's like the fact that so many people are trying it to me says it's going to happen sooner than you might think. But bringing it back to earth is the giant question mark for me. I just don't see the value in bringing this yeah. back to earth. So that gigantic needle scratch our listeners may have heard was my brain when Matthew said he knows somebody who wants to start <laughs> a space mining company. I know. Yeah. <laughs> was yeah. it a mic drop? I know yeah, somebody yeah. <laughs> it's um i don't even know how to follow up on that that's this is somebody who wants to put together a company that yes. would license yeah the, launch the, they have, they're putting from together, they're putting together a business plan and they're trying to get seed money and they're they're, they're trying to they want to start a space company <laughs> space mining company <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. I, I'm, I'm going to go lie down for a moment. <laughs> it just strikes me as such an odd thing. Of all um, the things that you could choose to do, it's like it's it's starting a business is hard enough. You know, like right. how many restaurants go out of business? It's like there's something like seventy percent of restaurants go out of business yeah. after the first five years. It's like yeah. I imagine the success rate of people who are trying to go into space mining. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be crazy if the percentage of successful space mining companies was higher than a new restaurant? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I I heard you wanted to start a new restaurant. I, I really have to try and dissuade you from doing that. Go into something that's a lot more viable, something with a better floor underneath it, like space mining. <laughs> yep. One of the things that came up about the need for these materials, these raw materials. And it's always a part of your channel talking about reusability, recycling. There is all the tech we use. There's all the tech we dispose of. And there is the materials that can we reharness what has been used? Can we find new sources for what we need? And I was not alone in thinking this. There were a number of commenters who raised the same issue that I'm about to, which is do those issues, how do those issues conflict with the right to repair? Mm. And this is not something that I've heard you talk about on your channel. Um, but one of the the biggest issues is that so much of our technology is basically built to become obsolete. There's, you buy a new phone and it is strongly encouraged that you would not just keep repairing that phone, but that at a certain point you will just get rid of that phone and get a new one. Uh, same with things like laptops and televisions and the list goes on and on with new products like electric vehicles. The question of, well, the electric vehicle itself is so embedded with the things that make the electric vehicle work that at a certain point you no longer have the ability to go in and say like, oh, this, this part of this vehicle needs to be repaired, replaced. Mm -hmm. 
Instead, it's just, well, you just need a new vehicle. And how do you see that conflict? How do you see that conflict between the right to repair and the access to these materials and how there is the, well, we can't just put these in landfill. Well, then let me fix it. Right. It's a comp, it's a, <laughs> this probably deserves its own video. It's a complicated topic because a lot of the, these technologies, like specifically, like if you're talking about your, your phone, um, it's not that it's being designed and built in a way to deliberately make it obsolete at a certain point. It's being designed and built in a way because we as consumers want it this way. We want something that's super thin and lightweight, something that lasts, has a charge that lasts a long time. And the way they have to build them to make them as cost efficient, as cheap as possible, they create these crazy integrated systems where it's like, if you want to replace the screen, you're actually replacing more than just the screen because all this stuff is glued together in a way to make it super cheap and affordable to manufacture. So it's like, it's kind of a double-edged sword. We want cheap stuff, but we want to be able to repair it. And it's like, those two things don't always go hand in hand. Um, but as far as right to repair, I fully believe in that. It's like the problem I have is where it's like Apple or Tesla, they don't allow you to take your de device to Billy Bob's repair shop. Right. It's like, that's where it's like, that to me is where it's like, no, it's like, I, I shouldn't have to take it to Tesla. I shouldn't have to take it to Apple. If I have a six year old phone that I think still has a couple years left, I should be able to take it where I want to, to get the screen replaced or the battery replaced and just pay this little repair shop to do the work for me. Um, that to me is where I think right to repair kind of steps in. Um, but for recyclability, because like phones are being built like this and cars are being built like this, I think there's a, <laughs> it's not necessarily right to repair. It's more of a companies that build the thing should be responsible for disposing of that thing. Because mm -hmm. right now companies can just pump out these devices and these cars and these things. And then, then they can just forget about it. And it's up to the owners, us to do something with it when it's at the end of life. And it's like, being able to, if a, if a company has to dispose of that thing that they built, suddenly you're going to find them recycling the hell out of this stuff because they want to get as much value out of it when they get it back. So it's like, there's okay. so much, there's so like platinum and gold and different materials that they can pull back out the aluminum. It's like, there is value in these dead materials. And it's like, if we can, if companies took responsibility for what they're building, I think that's the key, not necessarily right to repair. It's just more of a reuse as much as we can and get right. as much value back out of it as we can. And it doesn't matter who's doing it as long as we're doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get what you're saying about right to repair versus rights of responsibility. It's, right, yeah, yes. I do agree with how you started your response to that. This feels like something that would make an interesting video for you to explore yeah. in depth. Yeah. Transitioning now to the second video that we were going to discuss, about water turbines and do they work? The answer, as we've already mentioned, is yes. So yes. thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk <laughs> to you next time. Now, this was a number of different water turbine setups. You've talked about water turbines previously. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you've mentioned in the other videos, just like in this one, is the imp impact on marine life from these technologies. And I'm wondering what kind of, do you have any deeper information around what kind of impacts those are? Are we talking about 
I mean, I don't want to sound flippant, uh, but are we talking about just a bunch of fish being turned into chum post <laughs> post turbine? Or are we talking about things like impacting whale migration or seal yeah. migration? Are we talking about a, a larger, a, a very direct, like, oh, this is terrible for this specific place with these specific animals? It, it's a little bit of both. Yes, fish do die in some, it's just like birds dying in wind turbines. Depending on how it's designed, it it's not like... <laughs> It's just spewing out fish guts, but right. like it, there is the possibility of it. A vortex them. of chum. Correct. Just, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the vision of that is not very pretty. But no. the, 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 the bigger thing is like when you're talking about like dams and things like that, it really affects migration patterns. It affects like, uh, fish spawning cycles where they, they swim upstream, but they can't cause there's a dam there. And then the whole idea that you can build these things called fish ladders, which typically don't work where right. they can jump from pool to pool to work their way up. And guess what? Yeah. That doesn't work. Guess what? Eel... Fish don't have hands or feet. They <laughs> well, can't like... climb a ladder. Well, it's like they build it this way so that, you know, like the, the, this fish can jump up, but then the eel that also swims upstream, it can't jump. So it's like, it yeah. can't get up the ladder. So it's like, yeah. it has ramifications and there's things like where there's like silt buildup outside of the dam that can actually cause major issues. It's like, uh, where you're diverting water, you're, you're breaking down estuaries and things like that. So it's like there's just massive ramifications basically on spawning and repopulation of sure. these, these the sea life. Um, I'm reminded of the, the story, we've talked about this before, where in Yellowstone National Park, they discovered that the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone changed the direction of a river because the will, wolves came in and hunted yep. certain animals yep. that were overfeeding on the grass which limited the insects, which affected the birds, which affected the pollination and the growth of new trees. Once those, all those steps took place and there were all these trees, beavers showed up and the beaver dams redirected the river. So it's this yep. series of, oh, wolves should be here because wolves used to be here. We should make sure the wolves are protected. And then years later, they're like, that river has changed its path. Yeah. So it sounds like you're talking about something similar of like something as simple as like, it's very selective attention that humans can give to saying yeah. like the salmon, it's important to protect the salmon. And meanwhile, there's a bunch of eels at the bottom of the thing saying like, well, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a Just very complicated. Ugly doesn't yeah. mean we don't deserve attention. Yeah, the biosphere is very touchy so it's like you, yeah. you'd make one little change and suddenly the ec the ecosphere just like goes in a completely different direction and so that that's basically the bottom line of it right one of the examples in the video was about the faroe islands and lemons 1989 was one of the commenters on this who mentioned cool i was born in the faroe islands i don't live there anymore but i have been following their development of different green strategies for some time now they plan all land power production to come from renewables by 2030, it's which awesome. that's now only nine years away. So that's yeah. an impressive vision. And I, I'm reminded of Iceland's power production, which is all geothermal. And it seems like there's a lot to learn from island communities. 
mm-hmm. where the, there is so much in isolation, you're, you've got this bubble effectively to be able to say, well, what works? How does it work? How does it all feed in? You also have a limited population. Um, do you know of any other places globally which are these pocket communities where they are successfully testing these new technologies? Uh, I would just focus on like the UK. There's a lot of stuff going on around the UK. Um, off, you know, off of Scotland, um, there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, it's not islands, but like, you know, if you're talking about like the Netherlands, uh, Denmark, that kind of area, there's a lot of interesting things happening there too, where just like that by 2030, they're completely going to be carbon neutral. They're not going to have any coal plants. I was actually just talking to somebody from the Netherlands yesterday and he was talking about how there's no more coal plants at all. The only thing that's left in their country that burns coal is the steel factory. There's a massive steel factory. And he said the steel factory just announced they're switching to hydrogen. So in the next probably five years, no more coal is going to be in the Netherlands. So it's like, it's like, this is, there are definitely pockets of this that are happening. I would say more so around Europe and like UK area than anywhere else I've seen. Um, it seems to be, that's like one of the more progressive <laughs> areas of the world right now. I'm curious. Cool. Do you think that that's as a result of government action? Yes. yes. Wow. There was no hesitation in that, no, in that answer whatsoever. No. Uh, so here in the U S we'd be looking at local government action. And, and that raises the next comment that I wanted to point out, which is from Wilma Rolls who wrote that OSU is the OSU. It's the one of the companies you spoke of, I believe, in the video, mm-hmm. that they're installing a wave energy system off the Oregon coast. I didn't and know And she that. suggested that you might want to check that out for a future video. Yeah, no, I didn't know about that. I'm going to check that out. There was another video suggestion, which came from Emily Thice, and I was actually thinking the same thing as, as I was watching your video. Interesting video, she wrote. You should make a video on investment. <laughs> and... It is one of those subjects that I think if you went through all of your previous videos and looked at all the different companies and just simply made a video about are any of these publicly traded companies mm-hmm. without endorsing them as potential investments. I am it's not just a financial an interesting advisor. Idea. <laughs> it, you are not a financial advisor, but it yeah. is an interesting question because you will talk about these things. And this one in particular, you mentioned the vision for the title power production is seen as a growth industry. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for people to remember that if they are interested in supporting this directly in a, in a way, it's, it's also an opportunity for them to step into that market potentially. And obviously you are not a financial advisor. You should not be seen as endorsing any of these things and any losses that might be incurred are not your responsibility. However, I I do think it's a, it's an interesting subject. I, I find it interesting that you bring that up and they brought it up as well is because that's part of the reason I talk about the numbers, the actual, like, cause money sadly makes the world go round. And it's like, if you can make money, you know, companies are going to go after it. And that's part of the reason I always talk about levelized cost of energy and like the CAGR, like what's the percentage growth of these businesses. That's why I always bring it up. And then there's the subtle hint that I'm trying to drop of if you're interested in making a difference in the world and you want to invest money look at this. That's why I'm bringing that up is without me explicitly saying it, I am trying to convey 
there's so much growth opportunity around renewable energy and sustainability because that's where things are going. And you can basically get on the ground floor on a lot of different businesses. I don't talk about if this business specifically is publicly traded or not or whatever, right. but it's, it's, I'm trying to drop hints that if you're interested in this, you can kind of do your own research and get into it. And part of the reason for that is I am not a financial advisor, so do not yeah. take what I'm saying as advice, but right. there's so many interesting companies and interesting things happening out there that you could invest in. There's also a final comment that I wanted to share from old retired dude. The best you can ever. <laughs> and dude, if you're listening, you said that of yourself. We didn't call you that. Dude writes, all the numbers look to be new installation. What will they look like after exposure to the ocean environment, attached sea life, collisions with sea life, collisions with ocean pollution, et cetera? It's a, it's a good question. And yes. it's, this is a good question across the board for all the technologies you talk about, which mm -hmm. once they are in the world, the world then has an impact on them. And that is also true of any energy production or you know, new tech that is introduced into the world. I was thinking of things like oil spills. You know, mm -hmm. that is that is the energy production using petroleum impacting with the world, and there is a cost there. There is a, a definite downside environmentally, but also financially. And there was recently, I saw a picture recently of a wind turbine in Texas that had been caught by a tornado. And the turbines looked like they had effectively been all lifted up into one single, almost like a flower, and then twisted around the body of the tower, hmm. destroying the turbines, obviously, and creating a moment where the company that owns that turbine is going to effectively have to replace probably the entire top. It looked like yeah. the entire the entire device would just be destroyed by this. That is a real world experience, and. The same thing can happen to solar panels. Matt, you've mm -hmm. got solar panels on your roof. If something big enough falls from the sky, you're going to have a damaged solar panel. Yep. Uh, so the maintenance and cost experience of all of this is a good question. And when it comes to numbers as far as, okay, installing these things, using these things, what does the lifetime of these look like? What does the lifetime of a underwater turbine, what's the expectation there? There's the one yeah. model that looked like a, a giant boat, which I really like the design of that thing. Kind of looked like a submarine that doesn't go underwater. It's got those gigantic turbines. Is that something that they're envisioning as running for 25 years, 50? Yeah. 15. That's the, that's the big question. It's like, cause none of these are, have been around long enough to really know for sure. But numbers I was seeing on a lot of these different technologies were like, 10 years, 15 years, um, because there, as soon as you put something in the ocean, corrosion becomes a major thing you have to factor. So there's going to be a constant level of upkeep that has to be done to them. Um, right. but you also have to think about like, how many ships do we have that are 30 years old that are still going just fine? You just have yeah. to scrape off the barnacles, clear off the thing. You have to rebuild parts of it a little bit, but it can still keep going. So it's yeah. like, I couldn't find anything definitive. Um, when I was talking about some of the numbers and like there's the levelized cost of energy that some of these companies are claiming, they're factoring in maintenance costs and operations right. cost into it, which is the maintenance side of it. So if their numbers prove out to be true, we'll have to wait and see. But like right. they may be a little rosy and optimistic, if, especially if the company themselves is coming up with those numbers. 
Uh, some of the numbers I do pull are from third parties, but some of the companies I talked about here, um, they provided some of these estimates. Um, so you kind of take it with a little bit of grain of salt. I would say it's going to remain to be seen, but it looked like it was like a 10, 15 year time frame, kind of a thing, which is mm -hmm. definitely shorter than like a wind turbine, which might have a 20 to 25 year life. So, yeah. And of course, within that 15 year, let's say it is a 15 year lifespan, there will be continuing developments of new technology. You mentioned like oil fleets that have been, there are oil fleet ships that have been around for five decades. Exactly. Um, and of course, one of the big concerns about some of those is they are the least safe. They do mm -hmm. not include things like internal bladders that are as effective. And in they are often the ships that when there is an accident, it is often one of the older ships. The newer ships very often are, are ones that are built in ways that can withstand some impact and wear and tear in a different way. So the early days that you're talking about, 15 years from now, there may be new, a new generation that is not only learned from, but improved upon and will have a longer life. And it goes back to what you and I talked about just a little while ago, which is reuse and recycle. It's like when you decommission this thing, it's not like you're just dumping the whole thing into a trash bin. It's like you're tearing it apart, recycling the aluminum steel chassis and all that kind of stuff. So it's like there's ways that you can recycle this and put it into a new version of it. And it's right. when you look at it, it's still cheaper energy than, you know, natural gas. So it's like, <laughs> it's kind of a win-win. It's better for the environment. It's cheaper than natural gas. Why not do it? So our listeners, you should let us know what you think. Do you think that these are technologies that you will see in common usage in your lifetime? Or is this something that your great-grandchild will say, great-grandma was such a silly woman. She used to think there would be such a thing as marine turbines that would work. <laughs> let us know what you think. You can find the contact info in the podcast description. You can also just drop a comment on YouTube right below this video where you get to see our smiling faces. Wherever you find us, either podcasting or YouTubing, please do subscribe. It really does help. We also have a way you can directly support the podcast. You can visit stilltbd.fm and you'll find the support the podcast link. And we appreciate whatever kind of support you're able to give. Please be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. All of that really does help the podcast. And the podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew refuses to accept the right to repair. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening.